Christian nationalism is a growing threat to pluralism, our democracy, and to historically marginalized groups. Transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. Then you bring in a bunch of third worlders that don't share our values with tolerance and it gets destroyed. It is also detrimental to the faithful Christian witness in America. That's why we get called. Well, you're a Christian nationalist. You want the kingdom to be the government. Yes. You want God to come and overtake the government. Yes. You want Christians to be the only ones. That- yes, we do. We've turned the other cheek, but it's gotten us nothing. What is Christian nationalism? How is it manifesting in culture, and how do we find better ways forward in our faith? In this new monthly segment, Dr. Andrew Whitehead, Associate Professor of Sociology and author of American Idolatry, How Christian Nationalism Betrays the Gospel and Threatens the Church, joins me to pull back the curtain on Christian nationalism in the news, cover the latest sociological trends, and offer a better path forward in our faith rooted in the radical inclusive love of labor. All right, welcome back. Our second installment of this Christian Nationalist recap thing that you and I are doing, Andrew. It's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, man. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Last (laughs) month was uh, we talked about the border and Greg Abbott and what was going on there. And this one will be um, it will be interesting. We're going to start off by talking about actually the National Religious Broadcasters Association, the NRB, um, because they hosted Trump recently, and Trump had a lot of things to say. Now, I want to start here. The NRB, they say religious broadcasters, but what they mean is Christian broadcasters. And it's it's interesting to me that, and I don't know, maybe this is a stretch, but I think because I'm developing more and more um, of this this, uh, ability to kind of see meaning in ways that I couldn't before. I I find it interesting that the NRB is really all about Christian broadcasters. Like it's not it's not it's not really religious in the sense of oh they have some Islamic broadcasters and Hindu broadcasters. It's really Christian. And I think about the connection between that and religious freedom, how that's also code for Christian freedom, not for all religious freedom. And that one kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, well, and I think you could even push it further. Like the point you make is absolutely correct. And it's a particular expression of Christianity, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) New evangelicals being invited (laughs) to NRB. So it is distinctively Christian and distinctively conservative, politically, religiously, theologically, all of those things that get wrapped up in what we're going to talk about. So, yeah, I think you're 100% correct. And even you can even push it further, I think. And you wouldn't really know that by their website. So here's what the NRB says. Actually, I'm going to pull up the screen here for for YouTube uh, people who are watching this. So this is this here. Um, I'm going to move our screen. There we go. The NRB is a nonpartisan, okay, international association of Christian communicators whose member organizations represent millions of listeners, viewers, and readers. We work to protect the free speech rights of our members by advocating those rights in governmental, corporate, and media sectors and works to foster excellence, integrity, and accountability in our membership by providing networking, educational ministry, and relational opportunities. So, you know, you again, like if you didn't know the NRB, you would think, oh, nonpartisan, they probably have a wide array of perspectives and views. 
But the the reality is no. It is a particular flavor of Christian thinking. Um, not only do they platform folks like James Dobson to focus on the family, they also mm. advertise and promote things like Cross Examine. That's Frank Turek's apologist, you know, um, outlet. Mm. And they had former President Trump give an address to the Broadcasting Association. And let me just go ahead and play this little 90-second montage of, of, yeah. of what Trump said. And I, I think it will give us a very clear example of the type of Christianity that these folks want. Here we go. Our country is being destroyed by a radical left, corrupt political class that has gone communist, nonpartisan, fascist. I used to say we will never have a socialist state. And I was right. We passed over socialism. Socialism's a nice way by comparison to where we are. From Joe Biden on down, and I'm not sure that Biden knows what the hell's going on. I don't huh. think he knows he's alive, actually. You see so many things happening that are just unthinkable. It's unthinkable that millions of people would be allowed into our country. It's unthinkable. Who would, who would do this? They've unleashed mobs of foreign jihadists to praise Hamas in our streets. They're praising Hamas while they slander law-abiding Americans as domestic terrorists. As you know, the left is trying to shame Christians. They try and shame us, us. I'm a very proud Christian, actually. I've been very busy <laughs> fighting and, you know, taking the, the bullets, taking the arrows. I'm taking them for you, and I'm so honored to take them. We answer to God in heaven. We do. Yeah. We answer to God in heaven. He seems so bored reading. So today I come before you as a friend and an ally and a fellow believer to ask for your help and your support and your prayers for this country. We need your prayers, most importantly. And I make you a simple promise. In my first term, I fought for Christians harder than any president has ever done before. Well, there you go. Um, let me let me get your initial reaction on that on that montage of clips. Uh, as a scholar, someone who tracks Christian nationalism, someone who studies it, what did you hear in that? Yeah, well, I think too in that clip and and from his speech broadly, like you know, highlighting the boundaries, us versus them, and yeah. then um, you know, raising the uh, various kind of persecution complex, you know, that Christians are under attack and you need to be afraid. I'm the one that can save you. So these are, you know, strings that he was plucking through his first administration. Um, and since then that, um, you're being sidelined and they're coming after you, but I will save, um, you all and I need your help, but come behind me and we'll return, you know, our group to power. Right. Yeah. We are going yeah. after power and I will take you back there. Um, and then to just some of the kind of the fear mongering, right, of jihadists in the streets and um, opening the borders and millions and millions of violent people coming to this country and all of those different things um, to, again, highlight this us versus them dynamic that, you know, we keep talking about with with Christian nationalism. Yeah, two thoughts on this. One, um, it's fascinating watching Trump position himself as a new Messiah figure, right? Mm. I took the arrows for you. I'm bearing my cross for you kind of vibe. And it's even more fascinating to watch Christians who I'm sure claim to be standing firm on the Bible and biblical truth just soak it up like, yeah, this is it. Like, this is this is the biblical take. Um, mm -hmm. he, even Trump's take on immigrants, for example, it's like, 
I'm not saying you can't have different views on how to have a, a secure border, all that stuff, but the mantra around immigration, and we talked about this on our last episode, it's yeah. so dehumanizing, and Trump is someone who is at the the fountainhead of pushing such dehumanizing rhetoric to stand in front of Christians who are responsible for um, what what Christians can say publicly with this NRB kind of vibe saying, hey, we represent the largest coalition of Christian voices, to be applauding these kinds of words. Again, it just shows, I think, how bankrupt this type of Christian thinking and theology actually is, even though it uses language that claims to be standing on these really firm foundational truths of God in the scripture. Yeah, definitely. And and I think, too, what you point out really highlights the, the particular expression of Christianity that we're talking about here, right? Yeah. That it isn't even a religious freedom for um, secular Americans and non-Christians. Um, but two, it, it's even more constrained towards Christians like us that do believe the borders are porous and immigrants are dangerous and coming here and, and all those different things. Or that Joe Biden is, you know, bringing something worse than fascism and socialism right. to the United States, you know, all those different cultural aspects. Um, right. So it isn't even about theological or orthodox Christian beliefs that many of the Christian communities in the U.S. share, but then do differ on a lot of different policy views. It isn't even about that. It's like even much more constrained. And so I think that's where, yeah, we really see what's at work here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I was honestly shocked to see the NRB invite any politician since they claim to be nonpartisan, but to, mm -hmm. to have out of all the politicians possible to have Trump speak and then also yeah. to hear Trump say how he's a believer, yet the fruit of his life shows the complete opposite of what he's claiming. Again, this mm -hmm. is a man who was found liable of raping a woman. This is a man who's facing several major indictments for potentially inciting an insurrection. This is a man who was found liable um, for, for business fraud in New York in order to pay a $300 million plus fine and, and was barred from practicing business in the state for three years. You know, this is a man who really does not exude any of the fruit of the spirit, a man on the cover of Playboy magazine, all that stuff. And all he has to say to these people um, is, hey, I'm a believer, and they applaud him. Oh, he's one of us. And it's just very fascinating to watch and to see who these people see as true Christians versus maybe someone like me or you or someone else who would push back against this and argue for maybe a more moderate or even a more moderate progressive approach to things. It's not even that we're not we're not just different Christians. We're not Christians, period. But Trump is our guy. It's, it's, it's really mind-blowing. Yeah, no, I think you're right on. And I think it just leads into what we're trying to continue to track and talk about and, and differentiate between Christians and Christianity being involved in the political sphere, in civil society versus yeah. Christian nationalism, which is about privileging a particular expression as the one and really only one that should be lifted up and organizing American civic life, because those are different. Um, and yeah, the NRB, when you read their kind of mission statement, right, it's like really great. Like that would be yeah. wonderful for an organization to do that and invite right. political leaders from across the spectrum if they're going to. Um, and, and there are Christians who lead and, and, you know, are aligned with the Democratic Party, right? So those do exist. And, and that could be a part of what American Christianity could be about. But for this group, it really isn't.
Well, let's get let's move on then to to some of the Christian nationalism in the research segment because yeah. a, a brand new study. I mean, this is hot off the press, like 24 hours old, dropped from PRRI support mm-hmm. for Christian nationalism in all 50 states. Findings from PRRI's 2023 American Values Atlas. This is a huge study, and I yeah. know you were. Did, did you help actually um, make this study happen, or were you just kind of one of the advisors? What was your involvement with this? Yeah, so I serve on the board of the Public Religion uh, Research Institute, so PRI. But this uh, research is all uh, from that organization itself. Um, now they used, you know, my and others' past work uh, to guide, right? The stuff that we've written on Christian nationalism, like in taking America back for God or other peer-reviewed research, taking the questions we asked, and they've, you know, modified those in different ways. So they're building off of that work. Um, but I was not involved in any of the data collection of this. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're the sociologist here. Break it down for me. I yeah, have yeah. a few graphs for us. Where should we start with all this? Yeah. Well, I think what's really wonderful about this coming out right now, and even just looking at that clip we just saw with, with Donald Trump and what's going to continue taking place as we move toward November, right, and Election Day, that Christian nationalism is going to be a central part of this. So this 100%. report... Um, is is going to be really helpful, and I, you know I know that we'll like link to it, and, and so folks can find it um, to really learn and see more um, with a survey of this size, which we really haven't seen yet. So PRI they run their American Values Atlas, and essentially means that throughout the year they're putting surveys in the field, and so over the course of a year they're able to pool all that together to get a really large sample size. And mm. why that's important is the more people you have, you can start to break it down into smaller geographic units and have enough people represented in each one to make essentially an estimate of, well, how many people in this space maybe are, you know, this demographic group or in this case, um, are adherents or sympathizers to Christian nationalism. So we haven't really been able to do this yet because we just didn't have a survey large enough. So got it. the really great thing about um, this survey is that they're able to give us a map of Christian nationalism across the U.S. by state. And mm. so we can see now for the first time, really, where Christian nationalism is and resides. So in our book, we were able to break it out by regions of the country because we just didn't have enough people, but now we can see state by state. Would you mind, before we show the map, can I, I'm going to pull up um, from the actual um, um, report, how they measure Christian nationalism, meaning like what what the statements are. Can we just go through those? And can you explain to the audience what they mean? That way we have have a context for how we define Christian nationalism. That's great. Yeah, happy to do that. So here yeah. it is. So there are what? One, two, three, four. There's five different ones. And go ahead, Andrew, if you, if you want to walk us through them. Yeah. So they, they use five different questions. And again, these are modeled off of past peer-reviewed research. So it isn't as though they're just making them up out of thin air. Like They're building off of um, good research that's come before. And they modify them somewhat to really help focus in on Christianity and Christian. Mm-hmm. So you can see here people could mostly or you know disagree or strongly agree, or somewhere in between with each of these. And so the U.S. government should declare America a Christian nation, or um, U.S. law should be based on Christian values, or if we move away from our Christian foundations, we'll not have a country anymore. So as folks respond to these, they're either completely agreeing, completely disagreeing, somewhere in the middle. And then PRI, they're able to pool 
each survey respondent's answers together to essentially give them a score. And so if you completely agree with all of these, you're going to score higher on this scale. If you completely disagree, lower. And then people are in between. So then they're able to see this distribution of where Americans are as they respond to these questions. And then they break it out into different groups, which I think we have uh, that figure um, where we're able to see um, and this aligns with prior research from PRI, that about uh, 10% of Americans, they would quantify as adherents. So these are folks that um, either agree or completely agree with all these different statements. Can I so, interrupt you really quick? For sure. Um, I just want to read these these the full five off for the podcast audience because they can't oh, see yeah, this graph. So here, here are the five friends. Number one is the U.S. government should declare America a Christian nation. Number two, U.S. laws should be based on Christian values. Number three, if the U.S. moves away from our Christian foundations, we will not have a country anymore. Number four, being Christian is an important part of being truly American. And number five, God has called Christians to exercise dominion over all areas of American society. So depending on how folks respond, strongly disagree, uh, you know, somewhat disagree, moderate, strongly agree, etc. That is what gives this score of how much someone either fully adheres to Christian nationalism or how someone rejects it. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. right. You got Go it. Ahead. Keep going. Yeah. No, definitely. So then they're able to pull this together and to see where folks fall along this scale. And so they break it out essentially by quartile. So if you are in the upper 25%, they would quantify those as Christian nationalism adherents. So these are the mm. folks that really strongly agree with it. If you fall between the me or the, you know, 50% and 75%, so that second or third quartile, whichever way you're moving, these are folks that they would call sympathizers. So they, you know, lean towards agreement or they pretty strongly agree, but not to the extent that they're on the upper quarter of that scale. And then they have skeptics who are uh, the lower part of the scale and then rejectors who are people that completely disagree with all five statements, right? So these are folks that really say I'm against every single one of these five. Um, and so they're able to break out these four different groups. Um, and so what they find is, and what this helps us see, and, and again, aligns with prior research they've done, um, is that about 10% of Americans are those adherents, the people that agree or strongly agree with every single question. So again, if we're talking about the folks that maybe we would identify as Christian nationalists, I don't usually like to use that term, yeah. but who really strongly embrace Christian nationalism, 10%. And then they find about 20% of Americans are sympathizers. So these are the people that are less likely to agree than adherents, um, but they do agree with most of these statements. So put together, we can see about three in 10 Americans are at least sympathetic to Christian nationalism as it's measured here. And yeah. I think, you know, that's notable, right? As we continue to refine our measures, we get different point estimates of, of how large these groups are and what this looks like. Um, and so I think that's a key takeaway of, of this survey. Well, what's here's what's interesting about this uh, for me. First off, I, I think that that the, this this breakdown: ten percent of Americans are in that strong adherent category, twenty percent sympathize, and then thirty seven percent are skeptics, and thirty percent are rejectors. That does seem consistent with the data that that you presented even a year or two ago in some of your earlier work. I mean, your book with Samuel Perry, I think, has a similar breakdown. It's, I think it's a few percentage point difference, but it's in the same ballpark. And and here's this is a very important point because 
one thing that we don't want to do is, is we don't want to be um, hyperbolic in how we talk about this, because the reality is numerically, Christian nationalism or people who really adhere strongly to that are a minority position. Even if you, even yeah. if, if you combine the sympathizers and adherents, that's still only three out of 10 Americans. So while that's not a small number necessarily, that's still millions of people, it's not this dominant perspective culturally. And that's important to call out. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I think that's the the great thing about just ongoing um, research in this area, right? And mm-hmm. as we refine the measures that we use, so we ask them somewhat differently. And that's all a part of the scientific method, right? Mm-hmm. So the yeah. questions we ask, some, some of them talk about religion generally, and there could be that could be capturing a lot of variation where um, in, in our book, um, you know, it was just under or right around half of Americans were at least sympathetic. Um, and then the other half were skeptics or, or rejectors, resistors or rejectors, as we called them. Um, but then as we continued to gather data and refine our measures, we saw that ambassadors or those that really strongly agree and here they're called adherents really is shrinking, right? It's getting down to 15%, a little bit lower. And so that does align with what PRI finds here and, and in the measures they use. Yeah. And I think this is also a good example of how it's not about the numbers of people, it's the access to power, right? And the access to funding to actually shape the culture how you want. Because even though this three out of 10 position is minority, there's they a lot of those people have been in places of power to shape laws. I mean, the a good example of this is the recent case in Alabama, right, with IVF, where the Supreme Court in Alabama ruled that embryos essentially are children. And one of the Supreme Court justices is someone who, during a podcast with the uh, honestly a QAnon conspiratorial person uh, reinforced his, this is the Supreme Court justice, reinforced his support for the seven mountain mandate, right? The belief that Christians have an obligation to rule over the seven spheres of influence. So again, he might be someone in a very, with a very fringe position uh, or, or, or a fringe thought, but he's in a position of power to help shape law that affects millions of people. That's the key here. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where some of the work by um, folks like Ann Nelson, Catherine Stewart, really highlighting the power structures and networks and the people that have funding and are able to, um, yeah, fund and push agendas in particular ways. That's what's really key. And I think this leads into the next finding that I think is really interesting with this um, research is that being able to see where Christian nationalism is. Um, what matters is battleground states, right? So the electoral process in the U.S. is not just majority, right, vote. Like Mm. who gets more votes, they win. No, it's in particular states, you get electoral college votes and then you win. So when we look at 2016, um, Donald Trump won, um, lost the popular vote by millions of votes, but he won the uh, presidency because of essentially – 80,000 people spread across three different states, Mm. right? So it's where these folks are that really matters. And so um, the map that you threw up or that people can find if they're listening to the podcast, they can find on PRI's website. We can see those states that have more and then fewer folks that are at least sympathizers or adherents to Christian nationalism. And essentially you see it across the South and then up into uh, the Eastern part of the Midwest and then the central Midwest up into the upper Midwest. That's where we really see a lot of folks who um, you know adhere to and, and identify as sympathizers or adherents um, of Christian nationalism. So in this graph, they combined adherence and sympathizers. So for example, Mississippi, they're saying that according to their data, 50% of the population 
is either an adherent or a sympathizer to Christian nationalism. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. That's exactly and my, how to read it. And my state, New Jersey, is only 20. Hey, oh, all right. You know, <laughs> one of the lowest. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the audience who's listening to this on podcast, I recommend going to YouTube or clicking on the link in the show notes to see this visual. But essentially, it's the U.S. and it's color graded from a light green, uh, meaning uh, less Christian nationalism ideals are in a state to a darker blue. And you can see, like, to your point, Andrew, the South through like the mid. Yeah, like, like like northwest almost there's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a a section that just goes from teal to dark blue depending on the state and so yeah. you're saying that when it comes to election uh, election time these these um christian nationalist um uh, adherence we can say because i know yeah. you don't like using that the term christian nationalists i, I want to respect that <laughs> but but yeah. it, it, but where they're placed and how they vote matters yeah, for sure. So, and in, in later in the report, um, PRI breaks down battleground states, right? So, if we talk about battleground states going forward in this election, um, North Carolina, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nevada could be identified as in play battleground states. Um, kind of other states are just solidly Republican no matter what. Others are solidly Democrat. Um, and it usually comes down to a handful of states that are deciding our presidency. So when we look forward to 2024, we really do want to take into account um, it's not just only Christian nationalism that's going to be driving these things, right? There's lots of other stuff. Obviously, this map, if anybody's looked at you know, an electoral college map or uh, you know, percent Republican or percent Democrat map, it's going to look very similar. These things are highly correlated with mm, yeah. um, political views, right? So there's no yes. denying that. But we can see, especially in those battleground states, it is going to be part of the story, right? It mm. is going to be part of the rhetoric. It's going to be important to keep track of. And so when we look at it, and PRI highlights this, um, North Carolina and Georgia, they fall above the national average on Christian nationalism. So their scores are higher than 30%. Pennsylvania is right at the national average. So we see that that really is reflective. And then the other states fall just below the mm. national average. And so as we come to election day, as we look at it, and in those states, what um, type of rhetoric is being used? What's kind of being put forth? How might Christian nationalism play a role? Um, and so I think in that sense, again, while it's three in 10 Americans, when we look at states where something could tip the scales by 80,000 people across three mm. states, yeah. you know, three in 10 Americans, that's actually a much more influential number, especially if they're highly motivated. Um, and as you know, you recount on this channel and as others talk about too, um, when Christian nationalism views the world in apocalyptic terms, yeah. right? That this next election is do or die for this nation, for you, for your children, for your family, for everything we hold dear, that's going to motivate people to get out. That fear is going to motivate. And so I think all those together create this stew where it really is influential. Hmm. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, that's really helpful. And that that other graph that we just showed uh, uh, with like the battleground states and how that breaks down, mm-hmm. you're right. It shows how, again, depending on the state and, and if it's a battleground state, Christian nationalism can really play a major role in tipping the scales one way or another. So that that's important. Um, yeah. Okay, so what else What else did you want to highlight in this study? I mean, there's so much here. There's pages and pages of it. Anything yeah. else, was anything surprising to you in this study? Like, oh, I didn't see that coming? Or was it all pretty much like, yeah, this is pretty much what we expected to see? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, the real gift of this study is being able to map it out and finally see that uh, in those terms. And another data point, as we've been collecting data for a little over a decade now, um, specifically in this area, it helps us chart that. And I would say, you know, it isn't necessarily surprising, but the other big takeaway for me with this report um, is to really see the consistency. Because mm. while we're trying to talk about how large is this group, all that's important. Um, yeah. What we have found for the last 10 to 15 years, no matter what, is however you measure Christian nationalism, it is strongly associated with the exact same things from 15 years ago until now, from 2007 wow. until now, right? Wow. It is so strongly correlated with the exact same stuff. And so that I think is key. Um, and so what this is telling me is that we really can know what Christian nationalism is and have a definition for it um, that is empirically supported. So meaning that we have data to back up exactly what Christian nationalism is. So it's not something that's just being made up. It's not just a slur term. It's an accurate mm. description of where people are, this kind of theological, political orientation. Um, and so, you know, looking back even at our book that used data from 07 and 2017, and then if you look at this report and just this report, and there's others that um, highlight other aspects of this, but the consistency you'll see is Christian nationalism is strongly associated with support for Donald Trump. It's strongly associated with white evangelical Protestantism. It's strongly associated with comfort with authoritarian social control and a desire for a strong man. Hmm. It's strongly associated with comfort and support for political violence. Um, it's strongly associated with devotion to the Second Amendment. It's strongly mm. associated with the desire to limit immigration and turn away refugees. It's strongly associated with opposition to LGBTQ civil rights. It's you know, strongly associated with opposition to abortion for any reason. And that's just in this report comparing it to our book. And so when we gather data and however we measure Christian nationalism, it's always strongly associated with these things. And so what that tells me is that we really do have a good definition for it. And so we've talked about it before, but Christian nationalism as a cultural framework, it idealizes and advocates for, again, a particular expression of Christianity to be highlighted and privileged in American civic life, right? So the government should make this the principal and undisputed cultural framework guiding what we do in this country. And again, a very particular expression. And so then those elements of Christian nationalism, like a comfort with authoritarian social control, um, a desire for traditionalist social arrangements, a desire for strong ethno-racial boundaries, a comfort with um, you know, populism and conspiratorial thinking. All of these are cultural additions to any sort of theological orthodox Christian beliefs, right? So as we look at the NRB, it isn't just believing Jesus is the son of God and you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and some of these Orthodox Christian beliefs, it's that we got to defend the Second Amendment. We need somebody to save us and return us to power, a strong man. Um, the ideal American and what America was founded for is generally white, Anglo-Protestant American Christians, right? So all of these cultural beliefs get added on. And so that's that expression of Christianity that Christian nationalism is talking about. All right. So two questions for you about this. And then yeah. we'll move on to our next segment. First off, where do you draw the line between someone who's just a conservative Christian versus a Christian or someone who holds Christian nationalist ideals, right? I think about people that I know in my own life who probably wouldn't agree with all five of those statements, but would also be someone who would say, well, 
you know, um, I have this pro-life ethic that I think we should we should have abortion either st- really strictly regulated or eliminated. Or, um, yeah, I don't believe that gay marriage should be a thing legally. Is are those like two things automatically Christian nationalism, or is there a, a line between? Okay, that person's a conservative evangelical or a conservative Christian versus a Christian nationalist. Yeah, I think there are a number of things that help us kind of identify boundary lines there. And there, you know, with all of these things, there can be fuzzy overlap. But I think mm. the difference really comes down to, in a lot of ways, um, the method through which we get there. So you can be a conservative Christian and hold a lot of those views. Um, but if you're okay with doing away with some of the markers of a pluralistic, pluralistic democratic society, um, then I would say you're really moving towards Christian nationalism because it's not about um, you know these kind of ideals you have, but it's ensuring that these ideals become ascendant no matter what anybody else says. Hmm. And so if you want to do away with that, I think then you're reaching into that category of, again, trying to institutionalize and ensure that this one particular expression of Christianity is the central one. Um, and so with that, I think defending religious liberty and true religious liberty, that mm. there are going to be other Christians that might see things differently than you, or mm. people of other religious faiths deserve a say as well, or secular Americans deserve a say. And will we all agree to these democratic ideals of everybody should have a voice, um, but no one should be the head of the table, sole voice, and shouting others down or marginalizing other groups because you can be pro-life um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's only outlawing abortion um, you could be a conservative christian and want to limit um, or reduce abortions by funding support right for uh, single mothers or young mothers um, and doing all these other things as well um, and so you see that coming out, right? You see that um, there was a uh, article in the New York Times, an op-ed um, by mm. Danny Williams, where he is a conservative uh, Christian, wants to limit abortion. And he was saying that with the you know outlawing of Roe, he said, really, now is that time where we have to show that we're about what we said we're about. And we need to be supporting folks um, who are in these positions. We can't just say, let's do away with that law. And then our work is done here. He said, that's not pro-life. And so I think that's a good example of a conservative Christian that has these views and holds them strongly and wants to see those in the public sphere. That's not necessarily just Christian nationalism, Hmm. Um, but he's willing to do that in the bounds of, and there are many that are willing to do it in the bounds of a democratic society where we have to compromise and work together and everybody has access to the vote and has a say. That I think is a healthy democratic society where Christians, conservative, moderate, or more progressive can all live together um, and have very strongly held opinions, um, but do it in a way where we're not essentially just automatically marginalizing uh, other groups. Okay, that's definitely helpful. One other piece of this um, PRI data uh release is is this over here i want to talk about this two things number one they talked about they 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 did find christian nationalists that were not just white right they 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 also broke it down by race white Mm -hmm. hispanic and black um you know adherence and sympathizers and two things about this number one um 
they said here views of Trump and Biden by support for Christian nationalism and race percent who have a favorable favorable view favorable view of Trump or Biden. It's interesting because black adherents and sympathizers had a very low view of Trump and a very high view of Biden. Um, it's, it's it's kind of it seems like an anomaly based on on this stat. So any insight to what we're looking at here? Yeah, well, I think first what I would do is um, I was part of a webinar um, with this report yesterday that came out, but people can find it on PRRI's YouTube page. And Jamar Tisby, who's written extensively on race and American religion and history and Christian nationalism, his segment really helps break this down. Okay. Um, and, and Sam Perry and I, we talked about it in our book where uh, for black Americans, when they hear those different measures of Christian nationalism um, and Jamar lays this out really beautifully is they're interpreting it through a different social experience, right? Historically, they've experienced a very different America. So when they talk about and hear this idea of Christian values, um, they're seeing it in terms of equality for all. And so just looking at the civil rights movement itself, there we see powerful examples of a Christian ethic coming into social life to help create and advocate for equality for all and the lifting up of the marginalized um, and not trying to then marginalize some other position. So they weren't arguing in the Civil Rights Act for blacks to be able to vote and now whites, you no longer get to vote. Mm. No, they're saying we should all be able to vote. And that is a Christian ethic in the public sphere that I think is uh, more aligned with the ethic of Jesus, where we need to lift up the marginalized and bring those who have been pushed to the sides um, into uh, the opportunity to flourish. And so that's what we see there for adherents and sympathizers of Christian nationalism who are black. Um, they see it and it has a very different effect on how they view their social worlds because of that history, because of their social location. Okay, that makes sense. And the last part I wanted to hit is political revolution and violence. This mm. was very interesting to me. So, um, again, if you're on YouTube here, you can watch, you can see the screen. But essentially, it says this is this is figure number twenty for those who are reading along. Support for political revolution and violence among Christian nationalists. And the summary is: I'm just going to read the summary out loud, and then I'll have you uh, give your thoughts on this, Andrew. Christian nationalists are significantly more likely than Americans overall to believe both that a political revolution is coming soon to restore rightful leaders to power and that political violence may be necessary to save the country. Among Christian nationalists, these views are generally shared across racial lines, although black Christian nationalists are the least likely to support political violence. Roughly half of black, 53%, Hispanic, 52%, and white, 46%, Christian nationalists believe a storm is coming soon that will replace the elites currently in power with the rightful leaders. On the question of of political violence, Hispanic Christian nationalists, 39%, are the most likely to agree that true American patriots may have to resort to violence to save the country, followed by one-third of white Christian nationalists, 33%, and 28% of black Christian nationalists. Okay, break this down for us. What, what were your thoughts when, when, when you saw this? Yeah, well, I think for me, it's a continuation of findings that we've had and others have had as they've used surveys and measured Christian nationalism and looked at comfort with political violence. Um, it's a consistent finding that mm. Christian nationalism is associated with a comfort with setting aside, um, you know, kind of a peaceful passage of power 
due to a democracy, you know, functioning and saying that, well, there may be something we have to do to, quote unquote, bring this country back on track um, that falls outside of democratic ideals like the peaceful transfer of power. We may have to turn to violence in order to save. And so there again, it's highlighting the kind of legitimation of, you know, taking power for ourselves and even setting aside democracy because they believe and and view that God has commanded a particular outcome, right? That Mm -hmm. God desires it to go this way. And so if the God of the universe is requiring it, then essentially for them, who, who are they to say that they shouldn't resort to violence or shouldn't do whatever it takes, um, even setting aside democracy? Hmm. Okay, that's really helpful. All right. Well, I mean, again, I appreciate you breaking down this study. Yeah. And friends, I, I recommend going to the link because the link also has access to the webinar. So you can see Andrew and Jamar and others kind of break down the study in more detail. So of course, you know, I mean, Andrew, the question is, where do we go from here, right? Because you and I are both committed Christians. We want to find mm-hmm. a better path forward in our faith. We think that Christian nationalism is doing a lot of damage, not only to our neighbors, but also to the Christian witness in general. So what are your some thoughts? What are some thoughts? from you uh, uh, for Christians who are listening to this who feel like maybe their only options are Christian nationalism or like not being Christian anymore. What are your thoughts for them and how do we carve a better path forward? Yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful question and one that I think we all need to wrestle with. Um, And I receive that question too from, from those that might be a bit more conservative or at least more open to some of the political and and policy views of those that embrace Christian nationalism. Like, well, somebody's going to have power, it might as well be us, right? That's kind of the statement and belief. Um, and I think in that sense, we do, American Christians need to confront, you know, what I kind of write about or think about as the idol of power um, to essentially really reckon with what Trump offered in his speech to the national religious broadcasters. There was one quote he where he said, if I get in, you're going to be using that power at a level you've never used before. Mm. Right. So he is essentially extending like, hey, you come behind me, you're going to have power. So we have to reckon with it. Um, But I think for for Christians, through the example of Jesus, um, through uh, Jesus's teachings, just looking at those specifically, um, is this idea that power should be used to benefit the marginalized. Right. Mm. So seeking true religious liberty, where no matter if you have no faith or a different faith or whatever type of Christianity, even. all are, should be able to to live and flourish and function within our society and not feel as though they're going to be ostracized for that. And in order to do that, we have to set boundaries, right, on power, right, what we have access to and how it works. And democracy is one avenue through which that can take place. So I think defending access to the vote and ensuring that people aren't being left out allows Christians to ensure that, yes, they can speak, but others should be able to speak too. Um, And again, it points to this idea that with power, we're not saying that you shouldn't um, participate in politics at all because politics is about the execution of power, right? It's saying this is the way that it's going to work. And so we should, as Christians, be participating in the political processes of our communities, states, and and the nation. But the question becomes, um, how are we active and to what ends? Right. So Christian nationalism points us in a direction that we are active to benefit what we believe benefits us and our group to the expense of them, those people. Yeah. Um, and I'm convinced that Christians um, should seek another path. And it's a, it's there for us. So um, in, in some of the reading that I was doing for, for the last book, um, Howard Thurman had a quote, and I'm going to read it. It's, it's 
not too long, but I think it really lays this out well. Right. So he writes, too often the price extract, exacted by society for security and respectability is that the Christian movement in its formal expression must be on the side of the strong against the weak. This is a matter of tremendous significance, for it reveals to what extent a religion that was born of a people acquainted with persecution and suffering has become the cornerstone of a civilization and of nations whose very position in modern life too often has been secured by a ruthless use of power applied to defenseless people. So power and supremacy um, over others to enact our vision or what we believe is God's vision um, really puts us and can be putting us against our neighbors, right? And is not the way of Jesus. So for us to lay down this desire for self-interested power, but to commit to service and sacrifice for those around us, I think that follows in the way of Jesus. So the perspective of the early church or the New Testament, right? We can read it through that lens that they were outside the bounds of earthly power. So how could they execute power? They would come along the marginalized. So we can think about power as kind of, you know, a, a flame and flames can be really useful, right? They can warm us, they can cook our food, whatever else. But if we don't place boundaries around it and we allow the flame to burn out of control, it consumes everything. And so I think for Christians, seeing our power access to it um, as something that we need to have boundaries around um, helps us ensure that it can do good um, and doesn't just consume everything um, around us. And I think Christian nationalism in that sense, you know, kind of operates in this metaphor as a fire that's burning out of control. It's power that we all have for ourselves and we just execute whatever we want to the detriment of anybody around us without actually listening to, thinking through how this affects them. Um, and so I think in that sense, Christians reckoning with it and its power again, that we want to um, utilize and participate in to the benefit of those who have been silenced or marginalized. I think that helps us keep a healthier relationship with power than perhaps we've had in the past. I 100% agree. Um, there are so many people who are looking for a better path forward in their faith. And I think it comes down to realizing that if the gospel is good news, what does that mean for our cultural moment, right? Mm -hmm. And my concern with Christian nationalism is that its claim for good news is that you either submit or you die, right? Mm -hmm. You either assimilate into what we want you to be into, in, into, into this value structure or your rights are minimized and and your, your um, ability to flourish in the world is minimized. And so it's actually quite detrimental news to a lot of people. And I think as Christians, we have an obligation to mm -hmm. really be the loudest ones to critique what's happening inside of our own tradition, right? Um, yeah. and, and this is part of the work because the reality is to what to your point, Andrew, is that if we're serving a Jesus who who says in Luke that he came to liberate the oppressed and that we're we're called to clothe the naked and feed uh you know the hungry and and take care of the sick, etc., we have to ask what kind of what, what does that look like in our cultural moment? And Christian nationalism just isn't it. And I think the data that 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 you're showing with the work of folks like yourself and others is actually um, quite scary of of the the end goals and aims of what Christian nationalism wants to accomplish in America. I, I'm definitely on Twitter way too much, and I, I see people who definitely are fringe but hold some pretty radical views and who are connected to power and yeah. and the view that that and the the vision that they have for women 
and BIPOC folks and queer folks um, is not one of human flourishing. It's not one that respects their rights to live in a pluralistic society ruled by a constitution that is secular in nature. And so I believe that, you know, a better way forward and where do we go from here is that A, we as Christians are incredibly loud about the threat that Christian nationalism poses, but also that we do all we that we can to love our neighbor as well by advocating for their rights in the political sphere. So I think that's that's really great and really well put. All right, to end this off on a positive note, let's get into our palate cleanser. Ironically, when you shared with me your palate cleanser, what was sparking joy, I said to myself, oh crap, same, same. So go ahead, uh, kick us off. All right, so lately, nerd gummies. The gummy clusters, man. I've got these in my office. They help me get through the day. My kids love them and I love them. My wife loves them. And yeah, they just spark joy right now. Nerd gummy clusters. I'm a huge fan. When you shared that, I said, oh my gosh, my kids love the nerd gummy clusters. And then of course, by proxy, now I love them. Um, yeah. The the ritual I have with my family is my, my oldest, he's three. He's in early intervention preschool for speech. So we pick yeah. him up at 2.30 every day. And on Fridays, he gets to go to seven. 7-Eleven and get candy. He calls oh, it ta- he calls it Tandy. Because oh, yeah. Tandy, yeah, Tandy. So That's we bring sweet. him and he picks up the same thing. It's always the blue package of the okay. nerd clusters. Yeah, exactly. That's the ones. <laughs> very, very, they're yeah. kind they're kind of expensive though. In New Jersey, they're like six bucks. It's, I'm like, yeah. dude, six dollars. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, back in my day, that was like one ninety nine. Yeah, totally. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, um, they are. They're- they're addictive. Right now. They, they are, are addictive. <laughs> I love it. So, friends, uh, for those who know about the inside joke here, go to your local Seven Eleven, get a cup of blueberry coffee, the way that I make it. If you if you know, you know. It's, it, it's a big it's a big thing. It's a big controversy, Andrew, because you know one thing that my audience has not deconstructed yet is their coffee <laughs> snobbery. Okay, and so me, okay. listen. I, I worked at Starbucks. I worked for small coffee shops. I've had my coffee snobbery days. But yeah. since I deconstructed my fundamentalism, I'm a big fan of 7-Eleven blueberry coffee, a little okay. bit of French vanilla creamer, and it slaps. It slaps. Okay. All, right. All right. So I recommend to my audience, please go to your local 7-Eleven, get your blueberry coffee, some French vanilla creamer, and pick up a, a packet of Nerds gummy clusters, and you're good to roll. Yeah, you're set. Yep. You're For set. This weekend, if you're feeling <laughs> a little down, go do those two things. And- there you go some self-care and then get back in the work, I guess. (laughs) Awesome. Andrew, again, great having you on. I'll talk to you next month and we'll see what the Christian nationalism news brings. All right. That sounds great. Good to see you, man. You too.